Bridal Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. We're also joined by io9's Evan Narcisse. Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for being here. We're very, it's very so excited. It's so good to finally get you on the show. You've been on the uh, wish list for, for ages. Like, basically, I think every other time we start talking about comics... There's yep. a point in the conversation where we're like, boy, it'd be good if Evan Narcisse were here and somebody actually knows what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, I'm woefully behind on everything now, um, which uh, is a weird place to be. Um, is, is that related to the fact you're, you're starting to work on comics a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's public knowledge that I'm working on a project for Marvel. It is not public knowledge what that is, so uh, I really can't answer that. But... Um, it is related because um, I did a stupid thing in the first few months of uh, um, after uh, signing the deal. I was like, I- I'm going to stay away from uh, from all comics because I don't want to be unduly influenced mm-hmm. by <laughs> anything I read and have that make its way in there. Which is how I treat criticism, right? When you know when you, a game comes out or a comic book comes out. Um, and other people's reviews are out there already before mine. I stay away because I, you know, I want to have my own take, my own. Oh, really? And, so you, and you take the blackout route? Oh yeah, when I'm when I'm writing a review of something, like a critical review or something, or a critical assessment or something. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, um, I saw Get Out last night, and we can talk about that in a bit. But I saw yeah. Get Get Out last night, um, and uh, usually that'll be the time where I finally. Um, absorb everything that's been out there already interviews and and reviews and stuff but i'm because i'm writing my own thing i'm not doing that uh and and i did that with comics for the first couple of months um but then i realized wait a minute this is stupid um i'm still learning how to write in this art form um in this medium i should be looking at examples of the work that i enjoy and pulling them apart which i was doing with older stuff but the the new stuff too so i'm I, i wound up losing like months of, of various uh, series that I've been following. Because when I was writing about comics week in, week out, day in, day out, I was reading, you know, I was pretty, I was, I was current on most of the stuff, most of the, ma- uh, the, the major titles that I follow from the big two publishers and from Image and Dark Horse and the others. But now I'm woefully behind in everything. So um, <laughs> there's a few things I'm trying to catch up on. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird difference of approach when you're pulling from um the the actual practices of 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 a particular medium when you're critiquing it versus when you're actually participating in it yeah i was gonna say i i used to do the same thing for reviews uh as well but it it does seem like yeah different different story when you're actually sort of creating something and you want some of that influence potentially as opposed to oh i want to go in and critique this from my own mind and my own brain and not be you know sort of swayed by others (laughs) The fun, thing, sense. the fun thing about reviewing when you do that, when you kind of sequester yourself from everything else, and then you, re, you re-enter like, the ecosystem, yeah. uh, you get to see, like, oh, I wasn't the only one that had this problem or felt this yep. way or like this thing. That's great. That synchronicity is great. <laughs> um, but it can be problematic if you're like, hey, you have the exact same plot beat as this comic that came out three months ago. And you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. So... Yeah. But I'm being I'm being very careful about that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, probably that uh, probably makes sense. And we and we totally wanted to we wanted you on the show for many many reasons, Evan. But especially today, uh, we wanted to talk a lot about sort of conflict that doesn't just come from the really 
you know, simplistic good versus evil or cool folks versus complete douchebags. And right. Rob, I know that's something that's been on your mind lately. So, like, let's dig into this whole, this kind of villain-free conflict, this sort of more complex conflict in media. And I know both of y'all also had a very, uh, you've been reading the new Archie comics, so I know that's <laughs> that's a big part of this, too. Yeah, I think that's kind of what put it, it put me in mind of it was that I, I just finished the uh, second Archie trade paperback, um, which is is fantastic. Like the, the the new series, I just I just utterly adore uh, the different art styles that are employed, and I think um, Wade Wade's writing is is fantastic, and and it's it's just a tremendously fun and enjoyable like universe to inhabit uh, for a little while. But what what kind of amazed me reading these comics is that, like, the second trade paperback in particular felt like a real page-turner. Like, there, there were a lot of things happening where I was sort of curious to see how these relationships would play out or, like, how these uh, problems that arose for the characters w would be resolved. Um, so it, it, it was very compelling. Like, there was a lot of forward momentum to the story. But then toward the end, I start to realize that it's accomplished all of this without really injecting some side of some kind of, like, overwhelmingly negative character or element or conflict uh, into the story that the type of conflicts you find in Archie are largely about good, but flawed people trying to do the right thing and navigate like complicated situations and feelings without, um, you know, without screwing them up too badly, which is uh, quite a tall <laughs> order for, for Archie. But I was, I was sort of amazed that like, when I look at so many of the other shows and comics and uh, you know game games I play, a lot of times like this kind of conflict just doesn't really exist. Like so much relies on characters just like doing things that are absolutely reprehensible, or there being some kind of like obvious villain character. And I was sort of fascinated the way. Archie manages to maintain a level of suspense and excitement in these stories without necessarily like having someone be the uh you know bad apple uh who, who's always screwing things up for everyone else and I, and I was just sort of fascinated by that yeah it's so let's pull back for some listeners who might not necessarily be as aware with what the archie comics are like nowadays um about two years ago um they archie uh the archie the publisher rebooted their entire line of comics um uh the, the Archie titles, Life with Archie, um, Betty and Veronica, they, they pretty much put the previous iteration of those, the ones that a lot of us grew up on, we've seen them by seeing them on supermarket, checkout um, um, displays and stuff like that. Uh, the, those are gone, um, and they were re replaced by a, a new modernized take on all those characters on the entire town of Riverdale. So when the Archie, the main Archie series started, um, the classic love triangle was not in place. In fact, um, uh, Archie and Betty Cooper, um, the literal girl next door, they had had a relationship and broken up. And, um, and then Veronica Lodge, the rich girl who's new to town, um, moves in and catches his eye. And uh, it was a love triangle, but not. Um, and it was... Uh, more complicated, more mature, more nuanced. Um, um, the fashions and the dialogue and all the characters were updated. Um, 
and d- done so in a really, really great way. Like, you know, Archie's a publisher that's been around for more than 50 years, and they've had times when they've, you know, modernized the characters, but always felt like awkward or weird or corny, and this doesn't feel like any of those things. It's really a really great soap opera, um, and, and it, it kind of, th- that new take... Uh, it's a lot of what we're seeing on Riverdale, which is the show that that features the Archie characters. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it it's it's a great example of how flexible these long lived comic book franchises can be in the right hands. Um, so yeah, Rob, Rob, back to your main point about the conflict free thing. Like you read these stories, and you know, in the old days, Veronica would have been just a spoiled rich girl who you know is maybe appealing because of how um, naively, like, uh, greedy or entitled she is, Um, but, like, really kind of easy to hate um, because she's rich and spoiled. Um, Now, she has a lot more sympathy with her backstory, um, and, and... while she has more money than some of the most of the other characters in the series, like she has an emotional void that she's trying to fill, to fulfill, and that makes her a lot more sympathetic. Um, and it makes it really interesting. Even Reggie, who's like been the classic bad guy in Archie uh, comics for years, he's like, "Oh, okay, you're 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 pretty much pursuing your own wants and desires, um, and you can." It makes him a little bit more sympathetic than he has been before. I mean, it's it's kind of a cliche, like to say, like you know, the villain in in genre in, in genre culture, the villain is it, a cliche to say that the villain is the um, hero of his own story. But that's kind of like facile. But like you know, what 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 these new Archie comics are doing is like they're making everybody feel like three dimensional human beings, um, and you know, in any given scenario. Like, uh, somebody could be wrong, somebody could be right, but they don't necessarily feel like uh, it's happening in these these overly kind of familiar ways. Yeah, I think there, like, one moment in particular, like, really hit me hard uh, in, in the second Archie trade, which is that there's this really funny story of um, Archie and Veronica... Are have been sort of granted permission to see each other on the under the condition that Archie never visit um, uh, Veronica's house. Uh, that Hiram Lodge never <laughs> wants to see Archie's face again uh, because Archie's a walking disaster. Um, <laughs> and so what Veronica does is she basically starts trying to make uh, Archie's family into living an acceptable lifestyle for for someone like Veronica. So she starts bringing in butlers and, like, redecorating the house (laughs) and, like, buying expensive entertainment equipment and doing all these things. And and it's hysterical sort of watching her sort of try to cram her, uh, you know, 1% her life into this tiny little, like, working class, uh, you know, middle American house. But there's this this moment at the end of that issue where... um, Archie and Veronica are are sort of curled up together in the backyard and there's an open window in Archie's parents' bedroom. You can overhear they he and Veronica can overhear a conversation uh between Archie's parents and, and Archie's mom is basically makes the comment that, you know, how can one person like be trying to do so much for us and yet not have any idea how to be helpful? 
Uh, and mm. and there's this look on Veronica's face that's just like just utterly devastated. Uh, and and it's great because it's like it's it's a really painful moment that arises from just a character sort of having to confront uh, the way their good intentions just don't quite match up with what people want or need. That that they're they're somehow flying wide of the mark uh, just because they they don't have the perspective. Uh, that, that the people they're trying to help do, and I, I just I just utterly loved that moment because it's 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 a very real conflict and it's it's very intractable, but it's it 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 allows everyone to still be the good character you've always known. You know, it's not there's no there's no heel turn in uh, in these stories, which I feel so many other types of narratives rely on on heel turns and characters suddenly. Uh, zigging when they've always, you know, zagged to the side of the angels before. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and in that that same storyline that you mentioned, there's a moment in that same issue where, uh, you know, Archie's kind of frustrated. He's not sure this is going to work out, um, and he's he's kind of pouring his heart out to Betty, um, and they like get all emotional and come in close, and it seems like they're going to kiss, and you're like, oh my god. And it's classic soap opera stuff, like I said before. And then you're like, well, is Betty wrong? Is she, like, the villain here for, like, you know, this thing almost happening? And it's like, no, she's <laughs> not. Uh, there's nobody's the villain here. And it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, uh, juxtaposition of, of way these characters and th- this kind of d- dynamic usually happens. So can I ask, uh, I've actually been watching Riverdale. Um, yeah. I have not been reading the comics. I'm, I'm sort of just listening along here. How close is, uh, if, if you guys are familiar with the show, how close is it to the tone of the, the new run of comics? Uh, so the, the, the show, I've watched uh, like two, three episodes of Riverdale. Um, the, the, Riverdale is a lot more kind of um, sexed up. And, <laughs> sure. And um, yeah. And uh, a lot more um, of a kind of thriller. Um, sure. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a I mean, murder mystery, basically, yeah, right now. Yeah, so. they were comparing yeah. it a lot to, to Twin Peaks um, at the outset. And it's, it's like this, you know, um, oddly affected, you know, uh, um, kind of like um, pot boiler uh, murder mystery, like you said, Danielle. It's so, and the comics are a lot more... Um, down to earth and grounded. Um, it's it's typical teen romantic drama um, that is focused on like high school cliques and um, you know the way the characters kind of um, have more basic concerns. You know, there's no like murders. There's no maybe sort of hints of incest. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Very strong hints, yes. Yeah, there's 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 no teacher student um um uh adult relations happening. <laughs> um yeah. yeah, there's none of that in the comic. Okay, cool. But, I, but I think I, Oh yeah, go ahead. But but I do think like it's definitely taking some cues from the comic in terms of the way it updates uh the characters oh, and yeah. sort of the location of Riverdale. Like it feels like they're using the same they're using the same setting and and the same approach to Riverdale. It's just 
the two universes, you can almost imagine them starting at the same place and then instantly diverging into like right. the good universe, which is the Archie, Archie comics, and then <laughs> Riverdale, which is like your Twin Peaks, Hitchcockian, like uh, yeah. nightmare gothic uh, hellscape. It's a lot like Pretty Little Liars, uh, which is a show I didn't super love but i watched a lot of it because an ex of mine was obsessed with it so uh <laughs> uh but i i think riverdale is, is a lot more entertaining uh and believable even though it's very very heightened uh than than pretty little liars ended up being at least uh, yeah the first or s- season or so of that show was fairly grounded and then it went way off the rails so uh this this feels very much sort of like that but a little bit more grounded to me and i'm i've been really interested in uh you know being sort of an archie newcomer you know i had i had grown up with you know sort of knowing the archie comics i probably had a few issues here and there uh but thinking of it as like a very very old property like a very you know centered in 50s values basically uh and so watching the show i was like wow there's there's a lot of people of color there's a lot of queer characters there's like a lot more going on here and it seems to be commenting more on the sort of at least what I'm seeing in it, uh, commenting so much more on the sort of middle America versus city life, you know, especially with, with Veronica and sort of how she grew up and what she thinks is normal and what everybody else sort of seems to think is normal. And it's it's been really fascinating for me, especially as somebody who is not really into high school media, just as a general rule. That's always been my sort of uh, tripping point with anime, too. <laughs> it's just how uh, how into the high school experience a lot of those shows, not all, obviously, but uh, many of those shows tend to be. Um, so it's it's been fascinating for me to kind of dive into this and be like, wow, this, this feels like a reinvention of something I sort of knew, but very much uh, of 2017. So I think the the thing that Rubs me a little bit the wrong way about Riverdale. So I was I was sort of amazingly naive about what Riverdale was. Like I literally hadn't tuned into that at all. It wasn't <laughs> until I saw a Twitter ad where I was like, "Oh, Riverdale, cool! They're making a show version of the new Archie comics." And I watched the trailer, and I'm like, "What in the hell did I yeah. just see? Like, like, what what is this?" Archie. I mean, doing the hair what? alone is an issue. Like for sure. Let's let's Hit just Archie's hair. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I kind of love it. I feel like it's so over the top. That... That's, that's true. Like it's very much like the the show encapsulated is Archie's hair. Like that's, yeah. that's yeah. a good it's way like, of thinking of it. It, it walked straight off the page, uh, off yep. of a comic book page, like <laughs> in, in, in a color that does not occur naturally in nature. Right. Which is, which I actually do kind of love. The, that's part of the show's visual style. Is like things are like especially red hair for some reason because like the, the the blossom family are kind of at the center oh, of yeah. all this but like some of the colors it's sort of like um you know when you had hitchcock working with technicolor right where you mm-hmm. realize like mm-hmm. oh you can just push these colors to a vibrancy uh where they almost seem to like pulse in the frame uh and yeah. and really just get to the unreality of the real uh so yeah. we're gonna do that and i i think that's that's <laughs> riverdale's entire aesthetic I agree. Uh, <laughs> it's funny to ping off something that you were saying, Danielle, is like, which is like the whole city versus suburban thing. Like, and, and what I think was interesting about the transition of what Archie was and what it is now is that before it was very, like you said, middle America, 1950s, uh, mid 20th century, leave it to beaver style entertainment. That's where it kind of like plateaued 
the previous iteration. And everybody was kind of given, you were given to understand that everybody was in the same place, like socioeconomically, racially, like in terms of gender identification. They didn't, they didn't you know, push the envelope terribly hard um, except for a few instances where they had Kevin Kelly, who was the gay character in the um, Archie comics. Mm, um, yeah. And that was like a big deal because like, oh my God, Archie never rocks the boat. Um, <laughs> they, they, they never go like anything that's that that couldn't be interpreted as wholesome. Um, whereas now in the comics and, and on Riverdale, like they acknowledge that, yeah, these characters can be the same characters and also come from different walks of life, different, you know, uh, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, you know, they, they, you can be different and you can still be, um, Veronica, you know, you can be Latina yeah. and still be Veronica. It's about how you approach the character, not necessarily, um, where she comes from. And it, it, it can, it can enliven, it can deepen, um, our understanding of the character too. So that's, that's, that's really good. Yeah, we had a moment with Veronica, actually, my girlfriend. And my girlfriend is Latina, and we were watching the show, watching the show, watching the show. And, you know, it's not uh, it's not like it's it's stated right away uh, that, that Veronica is Latina, but her mother, you know, uses a term that's like, a, you know, a term of endearment, like a Latina term of endearment. And all of a sudden, my girlfriend, like, perked up, and she's like, oh, she's Latina. Wait, so she and did call like her this- Mija. Okay. She I, did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I thought I misheard it, because I hadn't... She totally did. Okay. Yeah. And it was like this really kind of cute and nice moment where it was like, oh, that's that's awesome. Like we both had this like, oh, that's that's really cute. You know, like that's rad. It's it's one of those things, you know, like little tiny anecdote where it's like you 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 brought this home in a way. And that's a really nice and endearing thing sometimes. I had something similar where um, I took my daughter to see Lego Batman two weekends ago. And yeah. um, I was like, something sounds different about. Batgirl and Commissioner Gordon, like they 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 maintain the kind of canonical comic book relationship where uh, Batgirl is Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Um, uh, but I'm like something. What is it? What is it that's sounding different? And when the credits roll, um, Rosario Dawson did the voice for Batgirl, and Hector Elizondo um, did the voice for Commissioner Gordon. So I'm like, oh wow. And it's funny. Because even the co- the coloring of the character, of yeah. background character, is a little bit browner, and I'm like, what's going on here? So they didn't give, <laughs> they didn't give you like a really obvious clue, like Miha, and yeah, yeah. um, in in the actual text of the movie. But I was like, that they 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 were shading it, pun totally intended. They were shading it a little <laughs> bit differently, um, and that's and that's great. It's it, it's something that I love about where we are in like genre pop culture now is like, you know, if, if you do, if you pull these kind of risks off, I think in a clever way, um, they, they, they can um, enrich the experience for people who, who care about representation. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. So I, I think the, the one thing that gives me pause with, with Riverdale to an extent though, is like, you know, talking about what I loved about the the Archie comics, the the, the way they handle conflict and drama, uh, to an extent, there's no way you're going to get around more conventional conflicts when you're when your central story is a murder mystery. Yeah. But sure. at the same time, this is a show that relies a lot on like classic teen movie archetypes, um, and and that kind of hang, hangs a lampshade on them uh, to sort of try to like you know get it past <laughs> you. But like, I have a real problem with the fact that like. 
the Cheryl Blossom character um, shows lots of like false growth in in between, like in a lot of episodes where it's like, oh, she's yeah. she's matured, and then the very next like episode, the first scene, she's back to being a classic teen princess, mean girl, and it's a show that relies a lot on that, and it just compares, I think, so unfavorably. Uh, with some of the source material and the way those characters are, are being drawn now versus how Riverdale is approaching them. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, if I can go back to the, the core theme, what we're talking about, of like this reimagination of conflict, um, Lego Batman uh, was interesting in that way because the core conflict was not between um, Batman and the Joker um, in, in ways that it typically has been. In, in the movie, <coughs> um, Batman is is being tasked by uh, Barbara Gordon, who becomes the new commissioner of police. She's like, hey, you should work with the police. Um, um, we can get, we'll accomplish more together. And uh, she's like, we're big fans. He's like, no, I'm a loner. Um, <laughs> and uh, at the same time, when he's adopting, he kind of accidentally adopts uh, Dick Grayson, who becomes Robin. And um, he's like, all right, well, I guess you're going to be around. Um, and he's, it's, it's, the conflict is pretty much all internal to Batman and his reluctance to actually, um, let other people into his life. And it's the, the, the most brilliant thing about that movie is that it's all informed by, you know, the classic Batman origin story of him losing his parents, but they never show like the, the you know, the Waynes dying on screen for the umpteenth time. Um, you know, it's kind of like they're in the background um, and it informs everything, but it doesn't, you know, the trauma is not like smashed, smushed all up in your face for you to be like, Hey, guess what? It, it's, it's so messed up that his parents died, right? So messed up. Um, <laughs> um, it just kind of lingers in the background and, um, the, the way they treat the Joker is that like, Hey, I just want to acknowledge that I'm your number one bad guy. He's like basically asking for love in this really dysfunctional way. Um, and there's a ton of gay subtext in there. Like uh, yeah. one of my colleagues at The Root, um, Jason Johnson, he wrote an article about how like it was a Brokeback Batman movie we've been waiting for. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and it really is. That's just, they're not shy uh, uh, about that at all. I mean, I don't That's know how intentional awesome. it was, but it was like yeah. very much like, and at the end he's like, all right, I hate you. <laughs> and, and Joker's like yes and there is like there is a typical good guy versus bad guy there are other bad guys who are worse than the Joker that they have to stop um, and there, so that stuff is there but it's a lot of the classic kind of paradigms of these characters um, get reinvented um, and, and it's a really really fun approach to uh, a Batman movie it's one of the, I think it's one of the best Batman movies I mean for all the toyetic marketing you know, aspects of it um, aside, it's a really, really good Batman movie. I'm excited to see it. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm seeing Get Out tonight, but then I'm pretty sure I'll be seeing the Lego Get uh, Batman movie soon as well because of all these wonderful things I've been hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It's it's, it's I, it came in way above expectations for me. Nice. Out of out of curiosity. Um, are there many are, are there many games you think like succeed in exploring this Man, this type of I've conflict? Been, I've been thinking about this question for the last half hour since we started talking, <laughs> and I'm coming up so dry. Like it's you know, video games still tend to operate, I think, on this cartoonish kind of model of good versus evil. You know, very 
Manichaeistic, black versus white um, um, conflict design, at least in terms of the, th- the, the themes and narratives. Um, I mean, even something like Far Afield, like Papers, Please, you're still like the instrument of a totalitarian government, right? And, and you know, that's not never in question. You can never not be that. Um, so I don't know. I feel like, you know, maybe stuff like Gone Home, you know, like, but again, that's an indie outlier. That's not the <laughs> ce- the central triple A big budget video games. Um, you know, that, th- that stuff probably exists, like the further away you get from the center. Um, but like in, tri- in big triple A games and big budget games, I-, I I'm struggling to think of something like that is more nuanced like what we're talking about i think uh, you can make a case for something like dishonored too uh yeah yeah especially with um emily caldwin being you know she was deposed she's the rightful ruler and all this but there's been a lot uh of talk about how sort of her the way she was canonically written and the way she can be played differently by the player there there's some dissonance there that you know a lot of folks have sort of noticed that like her her sort of you know to put it in like very uh, plain terms her sort of like asshole <laughs> observations are more frequent than her sort of benign observations you know like oh you deserve that or this 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 or that but you can play her as this non-lethal you know sort of entity but but there's certainly some some grays in that world at least it, i think it does i think you're right i think most games are are still very tropey uh, and very, very sort of um, simplistic in their morality systems. But I, I do get excited when a game offers some gray areas as, as well yeah. as the sort of the big bad and, and so on and so forth. Maybe maybe the best example that I can think of is Life is Strange. Yeah, Actually, the gonna... sort of final decision uh, that you can make there. It's like the, the quote-unquote, you know, evil or maybe... Not evil, because it doesn't really deal in absolutes at all, but you can save the town and you can save your awesome girlfriend, right? It's like, you can you can do the thing that is best for the many, or you can do the thing that is best for you and this person that you've gotten to know and love over five episodes of the game. Uh, and that feels to me like much more of a nuanced kind of choice to offer the player, even though, again, it does come down to something of a binary at the very end. At least it's a binary between this is really good in some ways, or this is really good in some ways, as opposed to, well, this is evil. It's the Jesus or Hitler thing again, basically. Well, and and something about (laughs) life is strange. And I've only played a little bit. uh, So most of it I've heard from you or, uh, or, sorry that I just spoiled the end for you. I I think think this is the eighth time it's been spoiled for me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, (laughs) Besides, I kind of figured it was heading in some kind of Donnie Darko direction uh, to to begin with. But, Something I, I've really enjoyed, both from what I've heard about it and, and what I've played, is that uh, it is kind of a universe where the conflicts are coming from inside fundamentally like decent, if flawed, characters. Like even yeah. your, my encounters with kind of the the archetypal mean girl in uh, in Life <laughs> is Strange, yeah. you can sort of see what a, a fragile edifice uh, that that is, and and how quickly it can. Uh, crumble or melt uh, in, in places, um, yeah. but then most of the conflict just does seem to be about 
you know, the, the, the misunderstandings that arise over the course of a complicated life and a complicated friendship, uh, you know, forgiveness for choices made years ago and, you know, being there for people versus not being able to be there. Uh, that fundamentally, when I think of life is strange, it, it seems like a game who's, uh, who, that's, that's conflict-driven, but it's not conflict that relies on anyone having been, like, a bad actor. It's just yeah. people coming to terms with sort of the nature of their lives. Yeah, I mean, you, there is sort of one cartoonish bad guy in the game, but it's it's done up in such a way that that's sort of a reveal to the thriller part of of the of the game uh, and the fiction, and less the the central conflict or the central sort of the point of the game for sure. So yeah. I, I think you're right. I'm, I'm trying to think also of, I mean, I think smaller games do this better in general um, because smaller games are kind of allowed to not be bombastic in a lot of ways. And actually, believe it or not, Horizon Zero Dawn, which isn't even out yet, uh, but I've played it, <laughs> actually does this in in a lot of ways. Uh, the writing is is shockingly good in that game, believe it same, or not. And, yeah, I had the same reaction. I wrote about it for io9 and I was oh, perfect. Yeah, stunned. Yeah. By how good the writing, how 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 much better than I was expecting. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, just just to make the point that yes, there is sort of a central conflict, and there is some some tones of, of if not good and evil, then a thing that has gone very darkly wrong, and and ways of living that are perhaps better. But it does present a lot of a lot of moral gray areas, and also a lot of different ways to be a person in the world which I think is equally as important as, as sort of being like, this is right and this is wrong. I, there's a lot of different sort of tribes in this world. I'll set it up uh, in case you're unfamiliar with this game. It's a post-post-apocalypse. It's the game with the robot dinosaurs, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's much more about uh, this young woman and her sort of travels in this world. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the post-post-apocalypse, people don't know much about the past, basically. And there's a reason for that as part of the fiction. Uh, but people have sort of internalized uh, different ways of being. Different. There's matriarchies. There's, you know, sort of different ways of yeah, organizing a, a society. There's a yeah, religious monarchy. Yes. There's bandits. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's a... Um, there's at least one of the major faction. Oh, there's like a wandering nomadic um, um, tribe. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm pretty close to the end, Danielle. Oh, awesome, awesome, yeah. It's it's real good. I think it ends on a on a on a good note, which makes me happy. But yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah. So there's all these different uh, factions that embody these different kind of philosophies, and even within those factions, there's like, oh, okay, well, you know, you thought you were living this kind of life, but it turns out you're living that kind of life, and um, there's the, the you know city mouse country mouse conflict <laughs> like you talked about before um yeah so it's 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 good in that regard it's a lot more um textured than i was expecting especially coming from guerrilla games who made the kill zone games which never ever impressed me from a, story, yeah. from a story standpoint yeah I, I i um they brought on i i don't know how far into the process but uh meg giant who did uh 80 days uh the writer of 80 days was actually a huge part of the writing as i understand it so that that made it make a lot of sense to me because that's another game that does you know different kinds of people from different walks of life in different cultures uh imaginative sort of different cultures really well so that's i think that maybe suits this uh this idea as well uh but yeah so 
more games, please. Uh, yeah, <laughs> please yeah, show I us different I, ways of life. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely want more nuance <laughs> in video game writing. But, <laughs> yes, please. But by the way, I just wanted to interject that um, a game that I was thinking might qualify for this was uh, was Event Zero because I remember Danielle you talking about it yes! being about a sweet and charming AI that absolutely definitely wasn't evil, uh, and it's 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 not doing it, it's not doing that trope uh, at all. But then I was listening to the Giant Bomb Game of the Year stuff, <laughs> and it kind of sounds like maybe you 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 bought into the charming AI. Uh, no, Kaden can be. I finished that game. Kaden can be totally different. It depends on how you treat them. Okay. And you know, it, it's more complicated than that. I will just say that it's more complicated than that. It's not just the Shodan thing. It's it's way more that maybe somebody else was doing something a little far-reaching and immoral, and maybe maybe somebody. There's several endings to that game as well, and okay. it all depends on how you treat the AI. Do you treat oh, them like a person? Do you abuse them? Are you mean? Are you are you a gross jerk to the AI? So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Ah, oh, lot lot going on, lot going on. So um, actually, do we want to go right into our endorsements? Because I know Evan, we don't have too too much time with you today, and uh, we can we can always kind of skip back and do letters later. So. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have a first pick, Evan, something you've been reading or watching or listening to, just really enjoying uh, that you want to you wanna chat about. You want to just tell the world yeah, is great. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I saw Get Out this weekend, which is the opening weekend mm-hmm. for that movie, and it's amazing. Um, I think I'm going to have something on io9 probably on Monday. Um, I don't know when it's going to go up, but yeah, I'll have an article on io9 about the movie, but it's... Uh, it's a story of like an interracial relationship between a black man and a white woman and and uh, them going up to her parents' house. And it's a horror movie. And um, without giving too much away, the, the brilliant thing about it is how it makes the subtext, the uncomfortable subtext of um, uh, relationships um, in the micro and the macro across racial lines, how it takes that subtext and makes it detext. Um so, like, every bad feeling you've ever had, like, uh, across racial lines, if you're a person who um, is, is non-white, like, there's going to be stuff in there that, that resonates. Um, and it's amazing. And it, it's uh, written and directed by Jordan Peele, who's one half of the comedy duo from Keen Peele. That was the show on, Com- on, on Comedy Central. It's freaking great. Wait, Jordan um, Peele made this? Uh, yeah. yeah. Holy hell. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Telling you, Rob, go get the ticket um, tonight. <laughs> it's the kind of thing you don't want to be late on, to be perfectly okay, blunt. Okay. Um, uh, so that's one. Um, I guess Horizon Zero Dawn is another. Um, um, I really, really like the game. I went in with very low expectations, um, and I thought I was going to get kind of like a technically brilliant um, um, like hunting simulator, which it is. But there's also a lot more shading to the world than I expected, and I and I, I like it a lot. The characters, a lot, most of them feel like they're living human stories and not just like a bunch of cliches um, um, uh, that are nested in dialogue trees. Um, so, so I like that a lot about it. Uh, comics, the, the um, I'm really loving Jonathan Hickman's series, uh, The Black Monday Murders, which is published by Image. Um, uh, I mean, I probably don't have to talk about Saga because it's an amazing comic <laughs> book that, that it feels yeah. like everybody loves. Um, I also 
Um, I'm loving the Black Widow series, and, and you know, I'm trying not to talk, you know, about Marvel stuff. I'm not writing my uh, Black Widow. I can say that much. Um, but it's about to end. It's and it's a really great exploration of this character, who's you know, who pretty much lives. We're talking about moral gray areas. Her entire career has been inside a moral gray area, and it's like, okay, you see her as a superhero with the Avengers, doing all this kind of unassailably altruistic stuff but you know there's this whole other side of her which is you know been like doing dirty tricks for the russian government the american government for shield and it's about her legacy of 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 those actions catching up with her and it's uh written by mark wade who also writes the main archie comic oh and, shit well it's it's actually co-written by wade mark wade and chris samney chris samney's an artist and he's 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 a lead plotter and lead I think um, uh, kind of scenario designer for these. Uh, uh, it's interesting because Mark Wade is an established writer, and when people write about this book, they they make it seem like he's coming up with all storylines, but it's actually Samney and Wade is helping out. I think on dialogue and maybe some other tonal stuff, but the, uh, Samney is the the lead storyteller here, and he's a great job. He's always been a really good artist, but um, well, it may, he makes clear that like. Uh, uh, storytelling the storytelling in comics visually um is an art unto itself it's more it's about more than just dialogue um i've been doing a lot of research about comic book writing and approaches and stuff and there's something that karen gillen who writes the wicked and divine um he wrote years ago and he's like uh you're basically um at the mercy of the artist you know like you your job is to excite the artist into making your your vision real um, and that's something I'm learning too. Um, it's like, you know, you've got to make it exciting in the script or else it's going to fall flat on the page or you've got to, you know, you've got to describe, you've got to s- set the scene. Um, and, and there's great stuff happening in that Black Widow title and the Wicked and the Divine, which Karen Gillan writes. And again, it's another book where it feels like everybody loves it. It's, it's just so damn good. Um, and if you're not reading it, you should be reading it. So that's me on endorsements. <laughs> wow. That's, oh. That's good. That's a nice assortment right there. How about how about you, Rob? What are you what are you into lately? Uh, so I guess the the thing I want to talk about, and it's it's a half endorsement. There, it is an endorsement fraught with uh, some concern. Okay. Um, I've been getting really into Legion uh, on, nice. on FX, yeah. which I thought had one of the best pilot episodes I have ever seen. I went into it completely cold. Didn't know it was a Marvel thing at all. Um, so. To me, it just seemed like um, the like the prisoner by way of Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess is the way I put it. <laughs> sure. Um, and so, so uh, Legion starts out as really like a psychological suspense thriller um, about uh, you know a, a young uh, mentally ill. Uh, guy, young, a young mentally ill man uh, who's been sort of institutionalized for years, uh, somewhat against his will, um, after just a, a a life full of like schizophrenic episodes. And it turns out that it turns out he's not he he's not really ill. Uh, he just has some superpowers he hasn't come to grips with. Uh, and a big part of the first episode is figuring out like. What is real? What is not? Um, what is like these things that these weird things that begin happening around him? Uh, what do they, like what do they imply about what his powers actually are? 
but it, it's it's a it's a it, that pilot episode like plays with um, you know editing and and lighting so so well. It always feels like reality is just tenuously moored, uh, and to the point where you you. I was amazed how much I completely identified uh, with with the main character and trying to maintain a grip on um, you know on what he knows to be true. But now I've seen a few more episodes, and I'm starting <laughs> to concern. I'm starting to get a little concerned that um, that's kind of the whole trick. <laughs> that the the sure. show that everything about the show is going to be is this real or is it or is it an illusion, Michael? Uh, that, how that, that how kind far of in are you? I have to, I will ask this. How um, far? I just watched uh, episode three. Okay, I think that's the. Are there three or four? I, I think am forgetting. Three. Okay, gotcha. I I'm really loving it myself, but I think you're right. They're going to have to. It's so beautiful and it's so stylish, and that's definitely what's keeping me in it. But they are going to have to <laughs> go a little deeper. They're going to nope. have to dig a little deeper to keep me as interested as as I have been. It's starting um, to feel a little smoke and mirrors, right? A little bit, a little bit. I I am so interested because of of like just generally having a little bit of faith in a Marvel project that is interesting. <laughs> for the first, I you know I'm a pretty. Jessica Jones is up there for me. I have not yet watched Luke Cage, uh, but pretty much Jessica Jones was the only Marvel project that I really loved ever until Legion. And then I was like, oh, okay, Legion has the has the ability to get there for me because it's really interesting. It's really weird. I really like where it's going. Um, you know, I, I've enjoyed the Thor movies, but for the most part, I'm just like, I'm not super into the 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 relatively straight-faced, you know, superhero stuff like I, I like the weirder stuff and the darker stuff so i was predisposed i think to like legion and I, i'm still in it but i i think you're right rob like I, it it really does need to um it's kind of milking its style a yeah. little bit at this point and it's like you gotta actually give me some some good characters here you gotta actually you know i know you're peeling back the the layers of the onion but the tricks aren't gonna work for an entire season so I, I hear that. I hear that for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely like we. we I, I think we talked about it a bit last week, and I was like yeah. super insanely high on it. And <laughs> yeah. then I watched the subsequent episodes, and like immediately, like you know, sirens are starting to go off, and then being like, wait, <laughs> wait, this show could still be a masterpiece, uh, or it could be a style in search of substance. Yeah, I totally hear that. Um, my pick is going to be. Another show that we've talked about quite a bit, but it, in season two, it is, oh my god, I, I'm oh, damn. obsessed. I'm obsessed right now with The Expanse season two. I am just like, oh my lord. Uh, it, it's, my girlfriend is starting to fall off it a little bit, but I am like plunging in even harder, which is not a thing that happens all that often. Usually she, she you know, she and I tend to be pretty, pretty in sync with a lot of stuff, but man how far in so evan are you watching the expanse and rob how far in season two i'm not gotten? watching it at all but i hear okay, it's amazing okay. okay gotcha uh i'm caught up so i okay, just saw the up. giant uh yeah. like twist yep i yeah. my girlfriend thought it was really stupid i loved it <laughs> i had like i still don't know how i feel about it because like without going into too much um 
one of the core storylines in this in this uh, series has been this detective Miller searching for this runaway heiress. Um, and at the end of the first season, we discover he's dead. She's dead. But at this point, he's still so he's gone so full uh, Laura on the entire situation yep. <laughs> that he's like in love with the dead girl he was trying to find. Um, and in a certain way, he finally got his wish in a recent episode. And it kind of felt a little ickily, ick, like ickily wish fulfillmenty and objectifying. Uh, but oh, at the same sure. time, it was such a glorious piece of uh, cinema that I, I just didn't give a shit. Yeah, I, I kind of had the same reaction. Patricia was just like, what the fuck? And I was just like, this is so Star Trek. <laughs> like, this is so the Star Trek thing, which I never get in my life anymore of like, the weird fucking thing that science has explained, sort of maybe, but it's just <laughs> magic. Like yep. it's, and I and I love it when that happens secretly. Like this is maybe this is me being a terrible fucking feminist, and you know I apologize. Uh, but man, it looks so cool. It was, I don't know. It was amazing, and I it's, actually really uh, want to know how they shot that. Like, yeah, me too. was that completely like CG'd, or did they take those sets from last year and just not not to uh, flog my own brand? But I think my colleague Catherine Trindacosta wrote about. She spoke to the people on the show <gasps> um, this last week. Yeah, yeah. Io nine. Can we find this at Io nine? Yeah, hold on. Let me just actually try and find the link. Woo! Uh, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, I I just. Personally, I love, I generally love how strong and awesome the women characters are on The Expanse. So I, I guess I'm willing to give this yeah. potentially completely stupid thing. Avasarala uh, gets you off a lot of hooks. You know, it, she really <laughs> Speaking does. Of which, she had a scene in this most recent episode uh, oh, with her husband that yeah. like literally brought tears to my eyes. Uh, yep. Because it was so human, them dealing with Skype lag, basically. Oh, yes. uh, but also, like... All the relate, all the baggage of their relationships. Uh, it, yeah. it was great. Yeah, I I truly love that show. I truly love a lot of the characters. I love that they're flawed but interesting, and also dealing with shit that that's clearly above their pay grade, even on the highest pay grades, and making the best of it in a very human and realistic way. That's very not Star Trek uh, in so many ways. But this was like the Star Trek moment of like maybe horror, but also sheer wonder that I. I'm just such a sucker for. So, goddamn, I love The Expanse. It feels like this season is is moving along in yeah. ways that maybe the first season didn't. I loved the first season, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of building there, and it felt layered, and it didn't feel like it was, uh, you know, unnaturally slow. Like, it, it sort of earned its slowness because I it was always telling an interesting pacing, tale. Actually, it was so... Yeah, 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 the more deliberate kind of building the characters. But I... I I am in it to win it. Unless it gets totally stupid, I yeah. am I am so into the expanse this season. <laughs> but yeah, it does look like um Catherine Trendacosta uh wrote uh and, and Evan just shared it in the uh in, in the chat here, a awesome. pretty amazing breakdown uh of this of this most recent episode. Um oh, fantastic. Uh, We're gonna put that in the show it. notes for sure. I always say that and never do it, but this one I'm actually <laughs> I am physically copying and pasting this into the document right now so that we can totally share that. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a, that's probably a good place uh, to, to have us 
move along here. And uh, Evan, I just want to thank you so, so, so much uh, for being here with us today. Always appreciate your insight. It's really good to meet you and speak to you for the first time in life as opposed to on the internet. <laughs> yeah, this was a ton of fun. I, um, I'm glad you guys had me on and I'm super stoked about what you guys have coming forward, um, you know, career-wise. I don't know if you can talk about that on the podcast, so I'm going to keep it vague. But yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> soon. We'll, we'll be having some cool announcements soon. So yeah, sweet. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Take care, guys. All right. Thank you so much, Evan. We'll do our letters and, and everything else, but just saying goodbye to Evan. Thank you again. Uh, do you want to just tell people where you can, they can find you on the internet? Yep. My Twitter account is um, Evnark, E-V-N-A-R-C. And you can find me at io9.gizmodo.com, part of the Gizmodo, Gizmodo Media Group, uh, where I am a senior staff writer. And I'll have some stuff coming from Marvel soon when they Yay. announce it. And I hope they announce it soon because it's killing me not being able to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I'm sure. Once they I'm announce sure. it, we have to, uh, we have, once you can talk about it, we'd love to have you back and uh, yes, discuss the, the craft of comics from now a practical standpoint. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a big learning process that I'm in the middle of. All right, guys, thank you again so much. Awesome. Thank you, Evan. Take care. Take care. Well, and thank you so much to Evan again. And I think with that, it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. Keep up with the latest from us. Follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. And we really appreciate you taking the time and having us in your ears for a little while. If you're enjoying the show, please do take a moment and rate us on iTunes. That helps us out so, so much. And go ahead and tell your friends, family, weird uncles, cool aunts, rad pets, anybody that you think might enjoy Idol Weekend. Go ahead and tell them all about us. Tell them good things about us, at least. Uh, because word of mouth is the way we actually sort of expand our, our beautiful network of friends. And we really, really do appreciate that. So for Rob Zachney and our special guest today, Evan Narcisse, this is Danielle Riendo, wishing you the finest of Idle Weekend. Mm-hmm.